2: Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track podcast. I'm your host. I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode, and I have got an absolutely wonderful episode for you today. Um, I was so thrilled to get the 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 nod from um, the PR company. And big shout out to, to Terry for for facilitating this, uh, as I'm a huge fan of this band. Um, I got to sit down with They Might Be Giants, and uh, and and specifically John Flansburgh and it's a great chat um, John's a, a, a wonderful guy as you're about to find out uh, and and we just talk about all the records that have been really important uh, in his uh, in his creative journey today and uh, you're in for a real treat before we get on with that chat uh, a few thank you so as, as mentioned thank you to Terry um, for facilitating that thank you uh, to Scribius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network uh, thank you to 76 for producing this podcast um, and thanks to you lot for continuing to support this podcast you know send me little messages saying you enjoyed it um, retweeting it and liking it and sharing it all of that stuff It all it all helps it all goes in the pot um also, uh, if you want to sort of put anything else in the pot, then the way you do that is on my Patreon. And that means that if you go to Patreon, you get access to a back catalogue of another 200 episodes that have never been released to the public. Um, video episodes, um, radio shows, all sorts of stuff. And that costs you 79p a month. So it's not not too shabby, whatever that works out at, 19p a week. Um, but yeah, it all goes in the pot. Um, And also, if this is your first time listening, when you get to the end of this wonderful chat with John, um, go explore the back catalogue because wherever you're listening to this episode on now, go go and have a look in the archives uh, on that site because there'll be 350 episodes with all manner of... Incredibly interesting creative people, um, whether that be the Foo Fighters, whether that be Tommy Lee of Motley Crew, whether that be Fatboy Slim, Suede, Idols, oh gosh, um, James A. Caster, Butch Vig, um, God, oh, literally, I always rattle off the same 10 names and I've got 350 guests. So the best thing you can do um, is go and have a little explore because I'm sure you'll find. Many, many, many uh, episodes of people, you'll go, oh, I'd be interested to know what the first record he heard that had an emotional impact on him. Um, But you can find out about all of this stuff at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Anyway, I know why you're here, so um, I can get on with it now. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with John Flansburgh at They Might Be Giants. Sorry, I've interrupted the podcast, but with good reason. Hotel Chocolat are our sponsors. You know that now because I tell you about it every episode. But they've been super kind now. And you may have heard me talking about the products from the cacao bar, and there's gins, cream liqueurs, all sorts of wonderful chocolatey goodies. Um, and what they've done is they've set a page up on the website that you can go to. And all you've got to do is just for you off the beaten track listeners go over there, answer a question, and you could win the full range delivered to your front door. I mean, that's kind of them. All you have to do is go to this place, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. That's OTBT as in off the beaten track podcast, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. Go get your grubby little mitts on some deliciously chocolatey drinks, courtesy of our sponsors, Hotel Chocolat. I'll get back to the podcast. (music) It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stew. With Okay, we are recording. John, how are you today? I'm doing fantastically. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Where, whereabouts are you? Today? I mean, I can see where you are. You're in. It looks like a, a home studio. It looks. It looks glorious.
1: Yeah, I'm in my little project studio. I'm in. I'm in uh, Sullivan County. Nice. Uh, which is. Uh, two hours northwest of New York City. It's like a mountain range, and I'm about... Well, I'm, I'm pretty close to where the, the Woodstock Festival happened. Oh, lovely. Which is to say, I'm pretty
2: close to a lot of dairy farms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, just before we get on to your, your, your playlist today, John, um, we've just kind of found ourselves coming out of a very bizarre time that I'm sure none of us have ever experienced anything like it previously. Um, I just wonder how the last... Sort of 16 17 months of being in in a lockdown during a pandemic uh how it was for you both personally uh and more importantly creatively as well
1: uh you know it's been a lot of everything it's you know it's just sort of been uh and kind of like having uh this sort of emotional uh you know impossible time um I mean, not to just, like, be, like, deathly serious about it, but, like, at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, a fellow that uh, we worked with pretty closely years ago, Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne, uh, died. And um, it was at the exact, you know, it was about three weeks into, like, the lockdown that he he passed away. And I think, um, you know, uh, I mean, it was definitely uh, just... On an immediate level, just very you know tragic and sad, and then on a kind of in a more macro way uh for i think for us as a group of people in a in a project, it was very frightening because um it just seemed like it was you know it was getting very close you know the the actual crisis was was getting coming very close to us, and you know Adam was like a very Uh, Dynamic, energetic person, Um, uh, and he, you know, he just he just was like, uh, he just was a great guy, and had he was such a life force, and he was the young guy, you know, for us. Like he was ten years younger than us, so it's like I think it it kind of kind of shook us up in a way to have somebody so close to our world uh, pass away so early on, and it just seemed like this is it just made me feel like this could be this is going to be way worse than anyone imagines yeah. but um you know since then i think i think everybody's kind of gotten used to certain things and and gotten kind of gotten over their anxiety and and uh um you know creatively it's you know it's not the greatest thing i feel like a lot of times you know a lot of times i would never have thought i would need to connect with uh, our audience so much for it to be for it to feel right um but that's kind of what it is i mean i did a lot of people did a lot of things to kind of get themselves into the world in alternate ways but i think because john and i were separated and for a long uh, for big intervals of the lockdown john was actually in scotland so like we were just very far away from each other and it just it, we just couldn't
2: we just couldn't deal basically yeah
1: <laughs> it's been a mess <laughs>
2: Okay. Well, well. Let's um. Let's look at more positive things then, and yeah. Uh, let, let, let's talk about the joy. Let's, let's go. Let's talk about it an earlier, simpler time. <laughs> well, that's good because this is going to be very retrospective, I'm sure. Okay. Um, yes. I'm going to start your playlist. John, for track one, please. Can you tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please? Uh, I know exactly what song I
1: would nominate for having the greatest intro. Um, it's, it's, it's a very, it's, it's kind of a longer song for a pop single. Uh, it is, uh, I, I, uh, I have referred to it as being the, the lunar eclipse under which half of the songs written since then have resided. It's like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. And the intro is, it, the song starts with a snare hit. It's, it's just, it's a, a just a, a snare on the four and it's it sounds kind of like a gunshot it's a real shocker kind of uh intro uh but it's really unfussy and uh you know exactly what song you're in for after you hear that i mean it's just it's it's just the snare hit that was heard around the world it was it was an amazing it's 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 really great drumming
2: yeah it's uh it's crazy isn't it that something is so ingrained in the fabric of 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 music that like that sort of chime at the beginning of Hard Day's Night, just that snare, just that one mm-hmm. single snare, and you know the next five minutes, you know what you're getting, and you know it's a glorious exactly. ride. And that's just from yeah. one drum beat. It's, yeah, great shout you know, for I'll, an intro, just, just,
1: yeah, but, you know, uh, just on the, uh, the sidebar, you mentioning the Hard Day's Night thing, I was listening to, I listened to this uh, uh, po- this podcast I don't know how popular it is but it's it's interesting to me it's just it's called something like uh shut up let's just talk about the beatles or something like that and it's just a bunch of LA people talking about the beatles and they're just beatle fans uh and they were talking about the recent paul mccartney um interview and a couple of them were very pro and a couple of them were sort of more skeptical and but one of the the, the musician of the bunch one of the musicians in the bunch that were ta- was talking was saying that they thought it was sort of unfortunate that Rick Rubin didn't drill down on Paul McCartney to talk about the intro to A Hard Day's Night. They talk about the song, but they never talk about the intro. And there's this whole thing about the intro, which is that there's both a bass note that's not in the guitar chord, and there I- are notes in the p- in a keyboard... I believe there's it's it's unclear how the chord was constructed between the band because they're not playing it sounds like just like they're playing like a you know a dominant chord with you know an unusual voicing it's like it's a really complex chord it's like a chord it's sort of this stacked up unknowable unstable harmonic statement and um and you know for people who are kind of into drilling down on the Beatles it's they would really like to know how it works, um, and and it's just not known. Um, George Harrison has, has, I mean, people always make fun of Paul McCartney for you know making stuff up and be, you know not 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 kind of you know kind of uh, gilding the truth a little bit. But uh, I think it's ac- actually George Harrison has caused more confusion on this point than anybody else because what he plays is not really the complete chord. But that is a very, very deep musical sidebar. <laughs> I apologize.
2: No, I mean, I think the fact that people are talking to Paul McCartney about that song and the intro doesn't get mentioned, I don't think I've ever had a conversation about Hard Day's Night and not referenced how iconic that intro is. It seems very, very... Right. Right. You know well, we will be coming back to a Hard Day's Night later in this interview, so Perfect. maybe we should move to the next question. Well, I just want to ask on, on intros and... Uh, and obviously you've uh, you've written a fair few um the way that people listen to music and consume their music access their music now is far different from when you was putting records out you know when you started out in the mid 80s and such um and we're seeing. I'm watching the way that my children find music on things like TikTok and these apps and things like that. And I'm right. And I'm seeing very short attention spans seem to be kind of quite <laughs> dominant. Uh, and I just wonder, like, when 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 you guys sit and write, do any of these kind of changes in in not technology, but in 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 the way that people listen, uh, does any of that ever filter through into? your songwriting and 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 i guess predominantly the intro because we're seeing with so many pop records now straight in with a chorus and it's you know some of these songs are like condensed down to sort of two minutes and it's like it's all killer no 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 filler on there at all right sure sure because kids are kids ain't got time for that anymore and and i just i just wonder what how you view these changes and you know do you think there's very much still a place for a traditional kind of approach to songwriting, you know, as per the Beatles and things like that?
1: Well, I mean, sometimes intros don't have that much to say. I mean, I think, you know, if you cook up a really interesting intro, um, that's great. But, I, 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 you know, personally, I, I, I feel like, unfortunately, you know, I am part of the problem, I have a very short attention span and I really I enjoy a song that just gets goes right into it yeah. um, I, I, I like songs songs that start with like the vocal pickup into the verse is one of my favorite things and f- I mean when I was a kid uh, those songs were considered sort of tricky because the way ri- pop radio was programmed um, uh, if it, it meant the DJ couldn't talk over the record um, but I always thought those were like the very exciting songs. Um, I, I, I like it when you get right into it. Um, and I like shorts. I mean, I like short songs, so yeah. I feel like that's just like
2: the legacy of the, the new wave explosion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then yeah. again, I suppose if you go back to, to, to rock and roll, when you go back to, to Motown and things like that, they were all two and a half minutes of, of of sweet pop music with absolutely no filler as well. So I I guess, you know, there's always a, there's always been a place for, for that, you know, infectious. Yeah.
1: I mean, there might even, you can, you can get pretty far. You can, you can, you can get a lot of repetition of a, of a quick chorus. Um, I think of like the song, there's a song by the raspberries. It's, it's sort of, it's sort of almost singular, uh, the song Please Go All the Way because the verse to the song is only two lines long. It's, it's just, you know, the song starts with the vocal, just a vocal by itself, like what I was saying. Like, it's like, I didn't know what you wanted to say. It was just... A to da, ba, da, please. And it's into the chorus. It's like, like, it's right into the chorus. And it's such pure pop, you know. Uh, it's 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 fantastic. And I think they were completely going for just a teeny bop audience. They were just like, forget about, we're not hanging out on anything. We're just going to get, we're just going to jump from one little
2: intro line and then it's into the chorus satisfaction. Wonderful. I'm going to take you um, back a little bit now. John, and ask you, please to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Well, this is a, a
1: funny choice, but it's, it's kind of true. There was a, I grew up in Boston. I had a a fake ID as a teenager. Uh, When I first was could learn to drive, I still couldn't go to bars. Like uh, in Massachusetts is a little bit more conservative than New York traditionally. And uh, but I did have a fake ID, so I could kind of sneak into bars and it was not because i was desperate to drink i didn't drink at all but um i really wanted to see bands and there were a lot of local bands in the boston area that were really great uh at in that kind of punk rock new wave moment um and uh you know i i think of like uh human sexual response and i saw the cars uh second show and that that was like kind of amazing but um there was a band called the real kids that were this very sort of street-level band. They played at a pizzeria every week. And oftentimes, I would go there with my friend Jimmy, and we'd be, you know, there would just be, like, a couple of other people in the room. Um, You know, often it seemed like maybe just, like, their girlfriends and a friend. And we would just watch them play, and it was almost like a paid rehearsal. Um, But there was something... um, they they were also kind of a power pop band really at their core uh, and they had a very good songwriter. But one of the things that the the, the song that I selected is, is called "Common at Noon" and it's this sort of uh, cheer up loser kind of song because it's 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 just really melancholy in this very in this very uh, prosaic way. It's just it's just sad in in the like kind of like my girl left me way that but it manages to not be cliche at all and it is not in any way epic it's just it's just very small and real and sad and uh it really spoke to
2: me and what would that emotion have been if you had to sort of pinpoint it john
1: uh just lo- just loneliness just you know the loneliness in the abstract which i think is kind of the way most people experience loneliness it's it's you know uh i mean anybody who's gone through like a a, a bad breakup kind of those are those are ideas that you can always those are feelings that you can always kind of access um it's just a it's just a song about being alone um and uh and it's not you know i think the fact that it's it's the boston common is like is is of just a place that people who have nowhere to go hang out in boston it's like you know it's it's is it's definitely like kind of a scrappy place, but it's, uh, but it's also just everybody's place, yeah. you know, and everybody just kind of floats through there. And the idea of being there at noon is just, it's just the high, the the moment that you're just going to be, uh, it's sort of, it's sort of like this, the, the song, it's sort of like the, Same sentiment, opposite approach to, like, don't let the sun catch you crying. Do you know that song? Um, Which is, like, everything about it is kind of the same idea, that it's just, like, we're all kind of stuck in this world, this everyday world. And just because you're feeling terrible, you shouldn't uh, take it too far. But that song is completely Baroque and, uh, you know, uh, kind of heightened. uh, Common at
0: Noon is just... That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: I'm going to ask you for track three, John, to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Well, I
1: went to a, I went on the grand tour of uh, colleges, uh, kind of belly flopping out of one and then another. In the middle of it, um, I went to a very progressive college university called Antioch that's located in Ohio um and they have a work study program where for 6 months of the year you're actually working in the world it was kind of before the whole intern idea had taken hold so it was like it was it seemed more experimental at the time but uh i um i had an internship at this I was, living, I, moved, I was living in Atlanta for four or five months and working at this place that would become like the Atlanta Independent Film Festival. And um, I just had this crazy, terrible apartment in the worst part of town. Um, my next-door neighbor was a man named Spoon. And um, uh, my window looked out on this very frightening uh, uh, strip club, and it was just it was it was just awful but um i had and i had no i had no furniture because i just wasn't going to be there for that long so i just literally had like a mattress and like a milk crate but i had a I had a radio and i would listen to the local college station and uh while i was while i was just sort of staring at the ceiling in in this furnitureless apartment um for the very first time, with no announcement and no understanding of what I was listening to, I heard Laurie Anderson's "Oh Superman," and um, it was just such a it was it was such a magnificent UFO kind of landing in my consciousness. I had never heard a song like it. I had i I was already doing home recording and you know i had a tape recorder and i was work i've worked with tape loops um so i kind of had a, a lot of ideas i knew how sound on sound worked and i knew how to do overdubs and and that was very familiar stuff to me but there was something about this the way the oh superman was put together that was completely unknowable to me and uh it just blew my mind um it's just such a singular song and and it's also one of those things where i was i was alone so i couldn't turn to somebody and go like can you believe this like yeah. what is this uh so it just it just it just i i don't even know if it was back announced i did put it together very quickly who
2: it was um but yeah that's the story behind that i mean song. To, to i mean that that's the Reaction I imagine most people get when they first hear that record is like, Oh, wow, what's this? Like, because it you know, sonically, it sounds like nothing else, it's it is like beamed down from outer space. And the fact that I mean, I, I think the first time I heard that, somebody would have said to me, You need to hear this record, it's out there. And like to be laying there on your own and just no intro, and then all of a sudden, you're subjected to this insane record, it's like. And you're just there with your own thoughts going, what's going on here? (laughs) Because it's a cracker's record, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, I have to say, like, I moved to New
1: York shortly thereafter. And watching New York cable television, that's pretty much your continuous impression. Watching 15 minutes of anything on public access cable TV in New York City was like, I think I need to tape this just to <laughs> verify that it is the thing that I think i 'm seeing, or maybe I should just call the cops
2: <laughs> oh wonderful you didn't you didn 't think when that record come on of giving spoon a knock on his door to see if he wanted to come over and uh, check out laurie spoon Ansel. came over <laughs> he was he was, he was a crazy guy uh, well i mean was was school an experience that you enjoyed John I was a really terrible student
1: um. I was pretty lost for most of my childhood uh, when it came to academics, um, I, but when I, I moved to New York and went to art school, and which was kind of like the last hope for me, um, I really found it to be, uh, I was really surprised that it was uh, such a good fit for me, um, and in fact it was kind of introduced a level of discipline into my life that I had never had before, and I think it it took going to art school where the discipline you apply to art school is is very different than just you know regular study. So it was just great. It was it was a little creative boot camp, and it had a big positive effect on me. I'm I'm really grateful that I I got
2: to do it. Did you get that kind of experience of of kind of like finding your tribe? And like and, and and like-minded people when you got to art school, I wish that I wish that was. I had one really good friend, um, uh, but
1: it was. I came in as a transfer, uh, and um, that made me. I was much older than everybody. I was twenty-one, and everyone yeah. around me was seventeen. So I sort of felt like I was being sent back. Yeah. But uh, and and they and those. 17 year olds a lot of them were really not adults at all so uh it, it felt a little bit uh like I was being punished uh but at the same time it was a huge challenge it was a just it was I, I I wish I wish I was hanging out my high school experience where I met John Linnell, who would be like my musical collaborator for my whole adult life that whole experience was very social and and real
2: but um No, by the time I got to art school, I was kind of on my own. And and by the time you got to art school, was was the career path for you within the arts, or was was music something that was a a big focus, uh, you know, and did it seem... You know, I had been in a band... I'm sorry, i just sort of like
1: laughing in this really (laughs) self-conscious way, because I, when I was at Antioch in Ohio... I, I was in a college band with my friend Dan Spock who I knew in high school and we were both in this band called the Blackouts and we played like we played a you know some instrumentals we played like dance music it was kind of a dance oriented band like we it was sort of proto industrial i think the, the best comparison would be James Chance or James Black and the Whites, or James White and the Blacks, uh, who were kind of a new no-wave no, no wave band out of New York City at the time. Um, I mean, we were aware of that kind of music. Um, half of our repertoire was just James Brown songs done sort of terribly. Um, but uh, while I was at Antioch, um, I became known to for being like a guy in a band, and it sort of undermined... Uh, anything serious I was doing academically, like it just it made me a non-serious person. And when, but when I came to Pratt, and we st- actually when John, I, that's when John and I started Pratt Institute in New York in Brooklyn is actually a, a a perfectly legitimate place. I know to British people, the idea of the Pratt Institute is kind of a oop oop. The idea of the the a uh, institute called Pratt is kind of a joke. Um, but uh. I kept be, the idea of being in a band secret when I was at Pratt, so uh, I didn't tell anybody I was in a band because I just didn't feel like I would be taken seriously as a. It was so important in that school to be, to, for people to think you were taking your work seriously that I just I just hid it, and it was it was odd, but nobody knew I was in a band. Wow, I was living I was living a double life.
2: I mean. Would you change that if you could have gone back? Because being in a band, no, 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 I
1: wasn't. I was. I wasn't doing it to be cool, in it by any means, I just didn't want to be sort of undermined in the way that I I had ex- yeah. felt I experienced. It was a very, you know, art schools can be very self serious places, and although that wasn't really, I wasn't there for some highfalutin reasons. I I just I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to people to go like, oh, well, you're just.
2: You're just a dilettante or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Track four the first song you bought from a record store, please, John.
1: We've talked about it already. I went when I was. I got a, a check for five dollars from my grandmother on my fifth birthday, and my father and I marched down to Leachmere Sales in the suburbs of Boston and bought at full retail price the soundtrack album to *A Hard Day's Night* by the Beatles, and it cost like a dollar ninety-eight instead of a dollar twenty-five, which is what soundtrack albums went for instead of, like, pop albums that were always on sale. And my dad was furious. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was a total ripoff. Uh, you know, it was just, and, and then the weird thing is I got the record home and Hard Days Night by the Beatles is half um, instrumental, George Martin instrumentals. So it's fully padded. Like, they could have put all the Beatles songs on one side and the George Martin instrumentals on the other. But instead, they weave the Beatles songs in and out with these George Martin instrumentals. And uh,
2: it was just like an object lesson in what was good and what was bad. And and in the years that followed that, John, how important did, did record stores become for you?
1: Oh, I worked in a record store when I was a teenager. Um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I mean, I guess... I guess the the movie High Fidelity kind of captures a certain kind of <laughs> record store culture. I was not that guy. No, I was not that guy. Although I did do I did do an in store, uh, Debbie the Blondie came in to do an in store appearance that actually was more like the in store uh, for in Spinal Tap where nobody showed up. I, I, uh, people listening to this podcast probably ha- might have access to Google. If you Google Morris Levy, uh, Morris Levy holds the unique distinction of being one of the only people, uh, directly sued by John Lennon. He put out, he, uh, he st- st- took songwriting credit for why the fools fall in love. Um, he was kind of, a. Famously is portrayed in the, the Sopranos as uh, the the, uh, the the Jewish mobster in the music business. Um, he was uh, he was the guy who owned Strawberries, which was a big chain in Boston. Strawberries uh, bootlegged a lot of records and sold a lot of fake copies of Off the Wall by Michael Jackson. Uh, I think their actual connection was through like a, like Jamaican record production that was actually licensed by cbs and warner brothers where they would just like overnight they would just in the factory they would just press records over and over again we would get these records in and half of the records would be returned there were an entire box would arrive and they'd all be warped um there and it was this weird self bootlegging thing it wasn't people stealing the films and steal and it looked just like a legitimate record. Um, it just was pressed under like really, really illegal circumstances. Yeah. It was a, it was a very strange, pretty criminal enterprise. Uh, but that was my record store experience. We had to wear uniforms. It was really jive. I just
2: okay. want to. Go back to something that you mentioned. So there was an in store by Blondie. I feel
1: like I'm in. I feel like I'm in the middle of this is your life. Like I, I never. I've I've done this is like my third interview of the day, and these are all so much infinitely more personal than than any anything I've talked about with anybody else.
2: I'm I'm really intrigued that, that, that there was an in store in your record shop that Blondie played at, and nobody arrived. No, it, yeah. And I was kind of the only person who really liked, uh, new
1: wave music in wow. the store. Like everybody else was kind of classic. This is nineteen seven, the spring of 1978 or s- something like that. Um, so they actually kind of stuck me with them to just kind of cheer them up. Like, because I was definitely a fan. Um, but I don't think it worked. I mean, if I, I think Debbie Harry was just like, you know, who's the stupid kid, you know? Um, but, you know, she was lovely. I mean, she just kind of hung in there, but it was just, it was a total dud. They came, they arrived to do this in store at like 11 o'clock in the morning or something. And it's Harvard Square. It's all people are going to Harvard yeah. in, the, in the area. So nobody showed up. I and mean, they, also, they weren't that famous. This was for yeah. plastic letters, I guess, which is like kind of their, their first
2: breakthrough. But yeah. uh, it was definitely before, you know, Heart of Glass. Okay. Let's move things forward for track five. Okay. I'm going to ask you, okay. please, John, to tell me the song, that soundtrack, Your Years Clubbing. This song is absolutely
1: the soundtrack to my life from 1984 or 85 to like 87, 88, when They Might Be Giants was playing every third week or fourth week at the Pyramid Club in New York City. The Pyramid was the happening nut spot in the Lower East Side. It had a capacity of 400 people. They would flip the room three times, maybe four times on weekends. So it was just this total, it was just a total scene. There were uh, there were transvestites uh, dancing on the bar pretty much from the, all night long. Um, there were uh, a lot of uh, drag acts that would perform. Um, a lot of local bands would play, you'd play very short sets. They, they didn't want you to play for more than 20 minutes, which was crazy. Um, and a lot of times they just wanted you to play a completely different show the next time, which is also, and they, and they didn't want you to play any covers. So it was very different. It was very creative. Um, and every time we got off stage, this song, Dominatrix Sleeps Tonight, would be played. And I had no idea why. I mean, I thought, I just assumed, I mean, this is a club that I heard a lot of music for the first time. I heard Run DMC for the first time in this club, and that was kind of a revelation. Um, but later on, I, I found out that the 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 DJ at the Pyramid Club uh, was the producer of the song dominatrix sleep tonight and he just always took advantage of that moment to (laughs) slip in his own his own (laughs) products. yeah i mean it's a really catchy song and it's a very crazy song um and it's a real dance floor
2: filler i mean people did love it uh because it's just so uh transgressive and 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 to be on stage surrounded by you know so much kind of glamorous madness and and it it sounded like a, a a super exciting time um and other bands you know playing uh, you know alongside yourselves and that i I want to, two questions i want to ask you um to to find yourself in that that environment like was you confident no, I was a child i mean I was twenty
1: four twenty five years old, and almost everybody who ran the club was kind of older they uh, like probably in their early thirties, and it was very druggy so um, and very uh, sophisticated, like, sexually. Um, like, while I was, while we were sort of a fixture there, Bronski beat came in from the UK, Dead or Alive came Amazing. in. I mean, I heard the song You Spin Me Round, like, uh, two years before it was, or a year before it was a hit in the US. I mean, I'm sure, it was probably a hit in the UK yeah. at that time. But it was, it, it definitely was, like, a very unusual fresh breeze. Yeah. Um so it was just a crazy, yeah, it was a crazy place. I, but, you know, we were just kind of, uh, I, I felt like we were just, I think they liked us because we were kind of innocent in a way. It was just, it was it was a very, it was a very, uh,
2: yeah, it was a very debauched place. And to do that and to go on to have the, the success that, that, that you've had uh, in a very, very, you know, Tough industry to, to 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 excel in and and have success and maintain success. Um, are you driven?
1: Oh well, yeah, uh, but you know, in kind of a more uh uh ambient way. I mean, I think you know, my dad was a workaholic. John and I have like a very strong kind of work ethic. You, you know, we're we've got a new album coming out in like. T- uh, In a couple weeks, and we're already working on the next record, you know, in earnest. I mean, we actually did, like, a recording session that lasted, like, a week. It was completely exhausting. And that, you know, that record's not going to come out for another year. Um, But it's like, we just know that we should get down to it and and kind of do it. Uh, It's just, that's kind of who we are. (coughs)
2: <coughs> Excuse me. I
1: mean, driven is a funny thing to say because it's like I don't. I don't feel like we're particularly ambitious in like the like we're going to conquer the world. I think it's just more like a, a pathology. It's just like it's fun to make music and and we feel lucky that we get to. So it's like we just yeah. do it
2: whenever we can. Yeah. And, and the output's prolific. You know, you, you, you're such active. You know, uh, such an active band. It's uh, and it, that's just made me think. Like you know, I just wondered how you know collectively how driven you are
1: yeah it's 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 a good question i i mean compared to some people you know i mean we probably seem ambitious it's you know uh, among my friends i feel like i i you know probably seem pretty driven but it's not like uh, it's not that craven
2: yeah <laughs> okay let's take you home track six jump a favorite song from an artist from your home county please um, when I was a teenager in in Massachusetts, um, Jonathan
1: Richmond and the Modern Lovers were actually a local band. They played at like the high school next to where I went to high school. I did I didn't get to see them. I heard about them, but the song Roadrunner was played pretty regularly on um, on WBCN before it became kind of a f- more formatted radio station. Back in the days of like freeform radio, and uh, the you know. Kind of like the Real Kids song that I noted before, the, there was something just so, um, uh, to, to borrow a, a drag expression, the realness of the song was really high. I mean, it, it mentions all these, the song name checks all these suburban places that I drove through as a teenager. So um, not only was it just a great rockin' song, it was, it was where I was from and it just it was it, it sort of made me feel like i lived in a place that was rocking yeah. and and there's nothing less rocking than the suburbs of boston <laughs> it is like a it is a very uh you know i mean it is just a world of teenagers who feel impossibly trapped um and so it the song just seems like this great celebration of being free and driving on the highway you know in the suburbs so it's just a magnificent song.
2: And, and talking about like home counties and, 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 and Boston and such. But before we press record, you mentioned that um, you, you uh, the, the band played with the Pixies uh, 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 early on and such. Like, did 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 it ever feel like that, that in them kind of early days? There, there was a scene that you was part of in Boston. Did it feel like? And, and if so, like who else was kind of you know involved in that? And and do you think that these these kind of scenes still exist?
1: I'm sure they still exist, but you don't you don't identify them. They're subcultural, so you don't know what they are going to turn into until it except in retrospect. I mean, seeing seeing the cars second show, my friend Jimmy Mack saw the cars first show, I think in Framingham at some it might have actually been at Framingham High School where Jonathan Richmond played. Um the Cars had were a band that were just had been woodshedding for months and months. And so when they came out, they, unlike a lot of punk rock bands of of that era, they kind of arrived fully formed. Like they actually, a lot of times you'd see bands and they would be terrible and then they'd get better and then they'd they'd evolve into something really great. I mean, that was, that was kind of like what the real kids did. I mean, they just got better and better. Um, The Cars arrived like ready, you know, screen, screen ready, as they say, you know, Uh, they, they just had great songs. Um, And in a way, what was even better is that in the club, you couldn't understand the words. So uh, the fact that their words were kind of maybe the weak part didn't matter that much. They just looked really cool. They looked like they were from New York. You know, I mean, Boston bands had this very uh, humble street level thing. And the New York bands all were wearing like junk store clothes and just seemed, you know, maybe just elevated in a way uh so they were like that and and they were very impressive
2: last track john you get to play tastemaker here and uh and i'm going to ask you please um to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear please um i love this song so much it's uh, a new band
1: they i think they only have two songs now on uh spotify Uh, i discovered them through, literally through just casting around on new releases on Spotify. I just, I didn't know anything about them. I don't know where they're from. The band is called Wet Leg and the song is called Shays Lounge. And I just think it's, uh, it's two, I guess it's two women in the band and I have no idea how they put their tracks together. Uh, but, uh, it's just a totally rocking song. It kind of reminds me of Iggy Pop a little bit in its, uh, freewheeling way like the first part is kind of addressing her parents and the second part is trying to seduce a man in the in a nightclub and uh, I just I just think it's magnificent
2: yeah they're they uh, they they're, they're blowing up in the UK at the moment there's uh oh great there's a lot of attention uh on them at the moment six music are, are, are playing <laughs> Are playing their records to, to absolute death at the moment the new, the new track wet dream is is amazing as well and uh, yeah 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 yeah, great bit. They're, uh, yeah super super exciting that's, that's a great shot um okay well um before we sort of start to wrap things up as we sort of find ourselves coming to the the end of of, of 2021, which let's hope is a far more kind of joyous and connected and freer time than 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 the first part of this year um with that in mind john um what are you looking forward to personally uh from the rest of this year and what's going to be happening professionally i'm looking forward to losing an incredible amount of weight um (laughs) i think everyone is i think it's going to be
1: startling to to the people around me how dedicated and uh focused i'm going to be on that achieving that goal um and uh you know we're actually gonna be doing shows again next march, and uh hopefully this delta variant will be behind us by then and and all the uh loopy people who are reluctant to get vaccinated will get over themselves and uh start having some common sense um but uh you know it's it's uh, it's such a crazy time, you know. We're just we're just going to keep on doing the things that we do, and uh, and hope the world, you know, keep, keeps in one piece. Uh, can we expect to see you in the UK? I I believe those shows, uh, are those shows booked? I'm not I'm not sure. It's been we've actually the shows we're doing in March and April in the U S, which are pretty much there's like fifty forty five shows or something, and forty of them are sold out. So it's it's. Uh, but they've been rescheduled three times. Yeah. So uh, I think we, we, uh, we just want to make sure everybody's safe. I, mean, I, I, I don't want to be on the cutting edge of anything Absolutely. when it comes to like live performance right now. I would hate to put people in harm's way. And uh, it, I suspect it will be infinitely better. But right now, I think everybody's just kind of tippy-toeing around, hoping that things are going to work sure. out. Sure.
2: And if people want to keep up to speed with with what's going on with the band, where's the best place to to do that, John? Well, we have a a website at theymightbegiants.com and uh we have a free music
1: app that's really kind of a delightful little thing that you can in, you can install in your smartphone. It, it goes with Android and with uh, uh, Apple phones and it's it looks like a little cassette made out of felt, and it's, it's it plays five songs. It changes every day, and it's got unreleased material on it. It's got all sorts of stuff on it, new songs.
2: And what's that app called?
1: It's called They Might Be Giants, I think. Uh, it's at the uh, app night. store. It's at, yeah, it's at the app store. We were thinking about calling it Dial-A-Song, uh, just in the same legacy as the dial song sure. thing. But, uh but you're not dialing anything, and less people know dial a song
2: than they might be giants. So I think it just got called "They Might Be Giants." <laughs> I'm not, I actually don't know. Oh, wonderful, Johnny! It's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk records with you. Thank you so much oh, for your time. Well, thank you. It's, it's it, the pleasure has been entirely mine. This is this has been delightful.
1: I, I you know, I, I, I don't. Uh, I was not expecting this. Oh, so happy surprise! Happy, very happy surprise. I mean. Many interviews are really like, so where did you get your band name? You know, and you're just like, well, it's an interesting story I've told
2: 5,000 times. (laughs) Well, it's nice to talk about (laughs) and get excited about other people's records, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's my jam. Wonderful. John, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Okay.
1: All right, great. Well, I'm going to hit the leave thing and then I'm going to hit save. I hope I... So, I hope I have your email address. I think uh, Terry's got it. Uh, okay, hold on a second, but I might have it here. Are you is your contact info, info pod Bible mag? That's it, yep. That's it, okay. So, I got it. So, I'm going to send you this WAV
2: file via WeTransfer right now. Perfect. Oh, John, that's okay. Absolutely great of you. Have a wonderful Thank you. day, man. And thanks again hey, for this. On. Stu, yeah,
1: one, one last one last thing. You know, I think you should just cut out the whole. Uh, first bit,
2: it's such a downer. I didn't. I wasn't. I was. I was just. I was just being real. I, I'll but tell you it what. Was Jim, like, um, if you don't mind, I'd rather not because I'm a huge, huge fan of Wayne, uh Wayne fan. Uh, and oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and any any reason to to talk about that? Oh, fan, fine, then, fine, fine. Uh, I mean,
1: I just I just was wondering if like tonally it was just too just like zoinks no no not at all okay all. Uh, if you're cool with that then yeah if it feels thoughtful enough i just uh, you know it's just like it's it's such a treacherous uh territory like talking about you know stuff like that i just don't want to turn anybody off but if you think it works then that's if it means
2: more people go and check out that first Phantoms of wine album again then uh, oh god yeah oh yeah let's let's keep yeah, it in there i love those what guys. i also absolutely. do as well john is i put together a little Spotify playlist um of all the tracks uh, that oh, you right. chose uh and obviously i'll put some they might be giants records on there as well and i'll i'll, I'll throw some fountains away on there as well oh please do yeah that'd be great wonderful excellent have a lovely day yeah. john thanks again yeah ra- radiation vibe oh, all right i'll talk to you later <laughs> okay <laughs> see cool. you So mad. Bye-bye. bye-bye there you go john what an absolutely lovely guy um Had to kind of keep a lid on being a super fanboy there. Um, Hope uh, I didn't embarrass myself too much. Um, What a band. um, What a lovely guy. Um, chose some incredible songs and uh, wrapping things up uh, with Wet Leg as well. Solid choice, my friend. Solid choice. Um, As mentioned at the beginning, if that was your first uh, chance to hear Off The Beat and Track podcast, Wow, you've got a lot of catching up to do. 350 episodes. Go explore that back catalogue. Go get stuck in because I have had some chats with some wonderful musicians, actors, DJs, producers, artists, comedians. Go have a rummage and uh, I guarantee you'll find some episodes that you're going to uh, enjoy. Um. Everything you need to know about this podcast is at the website. It's your one-stop shop, www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I think we're done. Um, Thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks again to uh, my guest, uh, John. Go explore the world of They Might Be Giants if you've never got stuck in because what a glorious place that is. And I'll be back next time. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. It's off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces
0: Network. Give me Stew with it.